Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Chloe Rogis, and I'm on our communications team here at Rolling Hills. As we continue in our series, Engage, today you'll hear from Pastor Jason as he teaches from Ephesians 4. We all have different gifts, skills, and abilities that God's given us. So how can we use those to minister to others and strengthen the body of Christ? Let's jump into today's message and learn more. Now, we all have reasons why we do the things we do, don't we? Choices that we make, decisions that we make, goals that we set, life plans that we uh, put into action. And from my personal observations, it seems like that most of the decisions that we make can kind of fall into a couple of categories. The reasons we do what we do in category one are things that I want to do. These are the things that I just purely desire to do, I want to do. And then there's category two, which are the things that I need to do. And I realize that I have oversimplified your life probably. But most of life, it seems like, kind of fits one of these buckets. There are things that I want to do. What I want to do is eat nachos and watch Friday Night Lights on Netflix reruns. I mean, can I get an amen? That's just about as good as life gets. I mean, I'm a pretty, uh, pretty simple guy. So just nachos with jalapenos and Friday Night Lights on reruns. And that's what I want to do. But what I need to do is have a job. You know, it's You've got bills that you need to pay unless you're in some kind of homesteading situation, you know, where you barter with goats and livestock and baked goods. Unless that's you, you need a job. What I want to do is upgrade from carpet to hardwood floors. What I need to do is go to the dentist twice a year. So there's these categories of things that I want and I need, but I want to propose a third category. And that third category is the combination of both. What are those things in life that I want to do, but that I simultaneously also need to do? And if I can figure out where those overlap and be invested right there, then life becomes really to the next level of what it is that God wants to do. Think about your job, for example, because you need to have a job. It's there in the need category. But the best jobs are not the ones where you just make a lot of money. The best jobs are the ones that you don't dread waking up and going to on Monday morning because it's in those moments that you need it, but you also desire it and you want it because God has perfectly wired you and brought that into your midst so that it's an opportunity for you to be invested in something bigger than yourself. And you see that as a mission from God, what he has called you to do. And then if we bring it into the spiritual realm, it's really no different. Because I could stand up here and talk to you about serving, which is what we're going to do today. And I could, I could talk to you for 20 minutes about why you need to do it. You need to do it. You need to do it. We have this many holes here and you need to do it. And all that is fine and well. But the reality is it's more than just responding because there's a need. I could also come over here and say, you know what, you should desire to do this, and I just really want you to be happy all the time. And so you find whatever it is that makes you happy and just continue to invest in that. But the reality is what God's asking us to do is to say, God, where do you want me to serve? Where is the need? But also help my emotions and my life and my actions to move to the place of where I want to do it, to where I can't help but desire to be a part of what it is that you are wanting to do. And as we engage with him, my hope and my prayer is that through his word today, he would show us a vision of what it means to live that kind of life. And so the text that we're going to be unpacking comes from Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is the text today, starting in verses 11, 12, and 13. You're going to see these words up here on the screen. Maybe you want to turn to Ephesians if you have a Bible or hop on that mobile device. But I want you to listen to the mission of serving and why serving matters in the life of our lives and in the life of the church. Look at verse 11. 
So Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Last week we talked about discipleship and what it means to engage with discipleship and grow in our faith to the next level. Today we're going to talk about serving and what it means to serve. And as you've heard already this morning, I'm going to use those words serve and ministry pretty interchangeably because they mean the same thing. It means for me to give of myself. It means for me to serve other people. But specifically in Ephesians chapter 4, the context is in the life of the local church, that I am to be serving in the church. What does that mean for me to serve in the church? That means that I am to be serving the people who are here that call Rolling Hills Community Church home. That also means that I am to be serving the people who are here for the very first time today. It also means that I'm going to serve the people that will be here six weeks from now. It also means when we have a new campus expansion and different people will come, more people will come, that I'm serving those people as well who engage with us at Rolling Hills Community Church. God is calling you and God is calling me to minister to people in the context of the local church. And I firmly believe that this is something you need to do. But my prayer is that it would also be something that you realize I get to do and I desire to do in the process. Now, out of the gate, let me address the elephant in the room or maybe the elephant in the text, if you will. I thought that ministry was for you as the pastor. I thought that there were people who step up to serve in pastoral ministry and that you are the ones that are to serve in the life of the local church because you work for the church. Well, go back and look at what it says the job description is. The job description of a pastor and the job description, the commission of the church. Verse 11, so Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. What does that mean? It means that no one is exempt from works of service. You fill that in on your blanks there if you want to kind of follow along with me on some of these notes. It means that no one is exempt from works of service. If you don't hear anything else that I say today, I want you to hear this. God does not desire for you to be exempt from his works of service. I'll take it one step further. God also doesn't give you permission to opt out and say, no, I don't want to be involved with works of service. Because, see, sometimes when we think about ministry and we think about serving, we think, oh, yeah, that's just for super Christians. You know, that's just for the people that really have it all together um, because I've just, I just can't do that. I mean, I don't know enough about the Bible. And so to serve, I, I probably have to know the Bible forwards and backwards. You know, I, I can only listen to Christian music. And, you know, I said, I've, I've said a cuss word at one point in my life, so that disqualifies me from serving other people. Or, you know what, I, I kind of... My, my, my kids are not perfect, like I'm sure all the super Christians' kids are perfect, and so therefore God can't use me. See, no one is exempt from acts of service and from the work of ministry. If I can use a term from the 80s, this is the all skate. Okay, this isn't just for some of you. This is the moment when everybody comes out, laces up their skates, and gets out on the rink. This is the moment that we are all to be engaged with what it is that God is doing. And for some of us, that's exciting. Because you're already doing it. And I look across the room and I realize a lot of you guys, you're already serving in the ministries here in the church and you love it, or at least you act like you do. And <laughs> we appreciate that. And then there's another group that it might be terrifying to you. 
And you might think, I don't even know where to start, or I don't know what my next step would be in that. But I want you to hear this. If you're there specifically in that category of, man, I'm just terrified, or I don't know what next step it is that I need to take. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you then should use whatever gift you have been given that you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Now, what's implied in that verse? What's implied in that verse is that you have a gift. You have a gift. It doesn't say that only some of us have gifts. It says use whatever gift you have been given, meaning that you're not exempt. You weren't absent on the day the gifts were handed out and everybody else got one and not you. It sometimes seems like that, doesn't it? You think, well, I would serve if I was as gifted as she was. Or I would serve as if I was as gifted as he was. Or I can't do the things that other people can do. Maybe you look up here on the stage and you think to yourself, well, I could never do what anybody up here on that stage does. And so therefore, there is no place for me in serving. And it's just the farthest thing from the truth. Because whatever gift you have, God wants to use that gift. He wants you to be a faithful steward of that. So let's continue to take a deeper dive in what it means to minister and what it means to serve. And we're going to highlight a couple of things from this text about what sets us up for that and what prepares us to serve. And so let's go back a few verses to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Because Paul's kind of building, building uh, the context here for us before he even gives us that key passage, starting in verse 1. So, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then back to our primary text. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, and we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And what I want you to see is that one of the biggest misunderstandings, and this is on your notes if you want to fill this in, one of the biggest misunderstandings of ministry is that the work is about me. It's one of the things that kind of catches us up. One of the biggest misunderstandings of ministry is that the work is about me. Because if I stand up here or another one of our staff members or one of our core team members stands up here or one of us recruits you or sends you an email or asks you to do something, sometimes we begin to think that all the things that we're being asked to do are really about us. Because I hear all the needs, and so therefore, if I step up to say yes to the needs, then you know, it really must be about me, and I bring something to the equation. Or they tell me that I need to be passionate about this, and so I'm going to try to find what it is that I'm passionate about, and I go do it. The problem is, anytime I keep myself as the center of the equation, something is off. It's just a good life principle for you. Anytime that you're in the midst of something and you realize, I'm in the center and everything's orbiting around me, is probably a moment that something's off a few degrees, or maybe a lot of degrees. So see, one of the biggest misunderstandings of ministry is that the work is all about me. The work's not about you. But what is the work about? The work is about, according to Ephesians 4, the building up of the body of Christ, the building up of other believers, the building up of the men and women who are sitting beside you in this room this morning. And what does that require of us? Well, Paul's priming the pump for us. He says, maturity, humility, gentleness, and patience. When you kind of espouse those principles, humility and patience, then 
you're able to really see what it is that God's desiring to do. Now, if you don't think it requires some gentleness and some humility and some patience to serve other people, it is clear to me you have never served. Some people are think, I don't ever have to have any patience. You know, humility and patience, I got those figured out. Just, you don't need patience when serving people. Again, thank you for speaking about something that you're not doing. Because when you're serving, who are you serving? People. And what are people? Messy. We love them. Second commandment, love them. Love it, but they're messy. Some of you serve on the other side of the cinder block wall, and you serve with babies and preschoolers and kids, and I'm so thankful for that. And sometimes you hear them bleeding through the walls. And you know what? I love it. It doesn't bother me at all. Why? Because that says as a parent, you all are here and not somewhere else. And you're valuing that your kids are here. And I love it. It's just a beautiful background noise to me. But I think about what you're doing over there and the ways that you're serving. See, you serve with people. They're messy. When you serve with these uh, little ones on the side of this wall, they're literally messy. I mean, we as adults are figuratively messy. They're just literally messy. And it takes some patience, and it takes some gentleness, and it takes some humility. I think about those of you who serve out in the parking lot on the 100-degree July days, and you do it with a smile. And I know deep down you're thinking, what in the world have I gotten myself into? but it comes from a place of humility and a sense of patience and gentleness that you serve. God has called us to do it, and he wants us to do it, and we need to do it. But if you need even further clarification about what ministry is really all about, and if you need even further clarification about ministry not really being about us, but it's serving a bigger purpose than just us, go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. And you're going to see a word here that I want you to underline in a couple of these verses. Chapter 4, verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Underline that word, unity. And then go down to chapter 4, verse 12. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. See, what Paul is doing here is he's hitting at the human sinful condition. And he's saying that I want you to understand why serving really matters. He says you do this in order to achieve and attain unity. Unity in the faith. Unity in my relationships with one another. When's the last time that you ever thought about serving as a pathway to unity? We don't tend to think about this very much. But Paul's making it pretty clear that if I will humble myself and if I will keep you as more important than me and serve you and seek to be unified, or serve you that it's one of the pathways for unity. Because if at the heart of serving is to put other people above yourself, what better way to keep the group unified than each party thinking about the other person more than they're thinking about themselves? It's unifying. Now, all it takes is for you to scroll through Facebook. 10 seconds. A 10-second scroll, and you're going to see how divided we are. We are divided over everything as people. We're divided politically. We're divided socially. We're divided on our interests, the things that we like. We're divided on how we should respond to COVID-19. And the divisions go on and on and on. But simply put, division isn't a new thing. Since the creation of man and the fall of man because of sin, division has always been 
something that has been a part of our sinful human condition. And so I'm not going to stand up here as your pastor and say, if you'll just check this box and if you'll just do this, all of the division in the world will fall by the wayside. It's not going to happen. Division is always going to be something that we have to address. But that doesn't mean that we sit on our hands and just let the cards fall wherever they fall. Because when it comes to the church and when it comes to our church and when it comes to the capital C global church and especially when it comes to your family and when it comes to your community and all the things that you are invested in, this is something that I hope you will realize. And Paul makes it so clear. You see it here on your notes, but division is always knocking at the door. But serving keeps it locked out. You know what division is in your life? Division's always doing this. Let me in. Let me in. Division is always knocking at your door. Morning, noon, night. All it takes is one moment for me to read something on here. Division. All it takes is for one word that, that you said that I didn't agree with. And division can be right there. So division is always knocking at the door. But what Paul says is that serving keeps it out. Serving is what moves us into being unified and not being divided here in the church. So Paul said that we serve until we reach full unity. Now, when does full unity happen? When Jesus returns, meaning there's still work for us to do. Meaning he has not come back yet, so there is still a process that you and I need to be involved in in serving. When is Jesus going to come back? Maybe before the end of this service. But it might be tomorrow. It might be past all of the lifetimes of every person who is sitting here in this room. But he still has given us work to do because we have not fully achieved unity in him until he returns again to this world. But division and divisiveness is so easy for us to adopt in our minds and for us to adopt in our actions and our attitudes. But serving helps us to not fall prey to that. In fact, show me a divisive person, and it's likely, not always, show me a divisive person, though, and likely you're showing me somebody that doesn't really serve very much. Show me somebody who is... um, a pretty divided or a divisive person, and you're likely showing me a person that's kind of made life about themselves. And they tend to kind of be in the center. Now, practically speaking, and I hope that this isn't too honest for you guys, but practically speaking, in my opinion, divisive people have just a little bit too much time on their hands. And I've always thought to myself, if we could get that channel towards something really positive, you could be a game changer. Because if I have time to sit around and criticize everybody else, And if I have time to sow discord in community, if I have time to sow discord in people's lives, if I have time to judge other people who are different than me, if I have time to just kind of constantly sit around and just stir the pot, it's glaringly evident how disconnected I am from the needs of other people. Because when I get involved in people's lives, what do I realize? A, they're broken. But B, so am I. They're imperfect. Guess who else is? This guy. They're trying their best. Guess what? So am I. They're responding. So am I. And you realize that in that moment, that if I serve, that it helps me realize what it is that God wants to do in this situation. And we strive for that unity. Now, will we agree on everything? Anybody have any moments in life where you've always agreed on everything? It doesn't happen, does it? 
We talk about unity, and then we kind of misplace that word conformity, and we think, oh, well, we must need to be conformed to everything. No, the only thing we are to be conformed to is the image of Jesus Christ. We strive for unity. We talk about unity and conformity as, as synonyms. They're similar words, but you even see here in Scripture that even the earliest disciples, they weren't always conformed around the same plans. There was disagreements. But what they should have never disagreed upon and what Jesus resolutely said you will not disagree upon is unity in him, unity in who he is, that there's faith, that my faith is, is shown, that my faith grows in Jesus Christ, and I only come alive when I give my life over to him, that that's what unifies us, how our lives are made whole and how our lives are made new and how our lives are made right with him. That's the unifying point. And that's what we need as a church. That's what we need as a society. That's what we need as a culture to be unified around the wrong thing. And what happens is we strive for maturity in attaining to the whole measure of Christ. But often what we strive for is conformity to a set of ideals. And if those ideals are not Jesus first, then often what happens is we become more frustrated than where we started. Have you noticed in your own life, too, that you find it pretty hard, or I do anyway, I find it pretty hard to have division with people that are serving me. Or I find it pretty hard to have division with people that I'm serving. Why? Because there's this mutual sense of you're giving to me and I'm giving to you. And all of a sudden it makes sense that Paul was onto something. That as I strive for unity, that that's a pathway to serving, that serving it really helps open up unity in my life. Now, when do we arrive at all this? We arrive at all of this when Jesus returns. That's when we experience full unity in him. So just like discipleship, remember last week I said discipleship is a lifelong process? So is serving. Serving is a lifelong process. Chapter 4, verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. See, you only get your distinguished serving award when you get to heaven. Some of you have been serving a long time and you've been thinking to yourself, I am ready to retire. I am ready to retire from serving. Please let that verbiage go out of your brain and let it go out of your mind. This isn't something that we retire from. This isn't something that we just move aside and let other people step up and do. We all have a role to play. No matter how much experience you have, God wants to continue to use you. Or maybe you have little experience and you're thinking, I've never stepped up to serve in any way. I don't even know where I would start in the midst of serving in the life of the church. If you have little experience, God wants to continue to use you. In fact, there is a spot for you. And I pray that you would open up your heart to my and mind study to see what it is that that might be. I want you to hear this morning from Valerie Hancock. Valerie is a dear friend of mine. Let's give a big round of applause to Valerie. She's making her way to the stage. Um, Valerie, I think you deserve more applause than they gave you. Um, but anyway, Valerie Hancock. Let's hear it for Valerie. Awesome. Oh, that's much better. That's much better. Valerie and I have known each other for a long, long time and um, served together over at Lifeway prior to me being on staff here at Rolling Hills. And Valerie does so many things in the life of our church. And so, Valerie, tell us a little bit about uh, some of the ways that you serve here at Rolling Hills. Sure. Um, I coordinate the first impression volunteers that are the ushers, greeters, and coffee attendants. So, I say we bring the smiles and provide the caffeine. So. Awesome. And also, uh, I'm on the prayer team for the church, so I have the opportunity to pray for the prayer requests that you guys submit each week and just take care of any needs that come. 
in Great. the church. So. Well, we thank you for all that. And I know you look out, you see some faces, yes. people on your teams and whatnot. So thank you guys for that. But Valerie, why is serving important to you? I mean, when you think about why it matters, because you could be doing a lot of things. I mean, why, why is serving here in the life of the church important to you? Well, I think I have to start with that it was modeled for me specifically by my parents um, and other uh, teachers, mentors in the church, and it was just something that they did. So to me, it was just a part of church. So it was just something I did. Um, but over the years, I've just really seen uh, what an opportunity it is to show love to others, to learn so much about the heart of God, and just to be a part of what he's doing um, all throughout the church. No, And what are some ways, you said that was modeled for you by your parents, yeah. so what are some ways that you saw that? I mean, what kind of ways did they make that a part of your childhood even? So they taught a four-year-old Sunday school class for many, many years. Um, I poured lots of Kool-Aid over that time. Uh, and today they continue to serve in their 70s, and they lead a community group and um, are part of the hospitality team. My dad's on the church leadership team, so yeah. those are some of the ways that... Awesome. Well, what would you say, because again, some folks here, have they've, they've jumped in feet first, and they're head first, and yeah. they're serving in all kinds of ways. <laughs> yeah. um, and then there's others that maybe, maybe we kind of have some fear about that, or some trepidation, or I don't even really know where I would start. What encouragement would you give, specifically to the people that have yet to stick a toe in the water? Um, help, help them understand like why it matters, and what some steps that, that you would encourage them okay. to take. Sure. Um, well, I would say just take that first step, right, to explore what the possibilities are, what's available. Um, you could learn so much about each each position before you commit, and then uh, you'll be equipped and trained. And if you try it out and it's not a great fit, then you can try something else. You're not you're not locked in for life. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I also think it's a great way to connect with people, to meet so many different people throughout the church, and just um, when you serve together, you have that camaraderie and you develop a bond, and it's just actually a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Maybe except on those hundred degree days, but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But we just, it's just such a joy, I think, to serve with others and uh, learn so much about them. And what I think every time you serve, it's just an opportunity to learn something about God and something about yourself. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, thank you, Valerie, for all that you had to share. We appreciate that. And I affirm what Valerie said. If you're not in serving, I would encourage you to take a step in that. You know, indicate some interest in that. You're not signing up indefinitely if you check a box on that QR code and scan it. But yeah, we want you to, to be able to see what those options are and what those opportunities are. And what we want to help you do is get connected. And my prayer for you is that the desire would grow and that the needs would be made known. And wherever that overlap happens, that you would say, that's where I want to use my giftedness. That's where I want to serve and try it. And if it's not the right fit for you, again, We'll help you find something else that is, because I believe that you're going to find some incredible things awaiting for you when you serve. There are incredible things that await you when you step up to serve and minister in the life of the church. In fact, you see this here on the screen. But something happens in me when I serve you, and something happens in you when you serve me. It's just the reality. Something happens in me when I serve you. Something happens in you when you serve me. Insert your name in this. Something happens in Rick when he serves Aaron. And something happens in Aaron when he serves Rick. And Paul made this abundantly clear. Look at Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Look to the interests of other people. And when you keep other people as more important than yourself, then something happens in you. See, the mere fact that you seek to meet a need 
that you seek to offer a conversation, that you rock a baby, that you welcome people as they enter in the church with a smile. It's a clear indication that another person's need is more important to you than your own. So what happens, though? If something happens in me when I serve, what actually happens in me? Paul answers that question. He gives us some clarity as to what that is. Look at what happens in me when I serve, verse 14 and 15. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Did you catch what he said in verse 14? Then we will no longer be infants. When I serve you, Paul says what that does in me is it grows me up. It moves me from infancy to teenager to adulthood. It moves me as an infant to then a child to then a teenager to then an adult. Paul says that people who don't live this Ephesians chapter 4 verse life, they're infants. They're babies. They're tossed around by every teaching, and they don't know how to tell fact from fiction. And truth is pretty elusive to them. And all of a sudden, you realize serving on the tech team sounds a lot more powerful than I thought it was before. Serving with student ministry seems a lot more meaningful than I thought before because the whole time I thought serving was just because they needed a warm body to be there in the room. No, it's about me growing up. There's more to this than meets the eye than I may have ever realized because what happens when I serve you is I grow up. Now, as a parent of two, and there's many parents in the room, there's grandparents in the room, there's aunts and uncles in the room, and I would assume everybody in the room has had some opportunity to be around a baby. Okay, whether it's your own or somebody else's, you have been around babies. And I have a couple, I have a familiarity because of the couple that we have at our house. And a word that I would use to describe babies is precious and selfish. They're selfish. I mean, babies are selfish. Let's just call it what it is. Don't tweet that. That's not the quote of the day. So I don't want to see that on Facebook or Instagram. Pastor Jason, babies are selfish. That's not the point of today's message. However, babies are selfish, but they can't help it. Think about it. Think about a sweet little 10-week-old or a little 10-month-old. They're pretty selfish, and they are the center of their universe. And as harsh as it may sound, they honestly can't help it because their needs are so great that they are incapable of meeting any of those needs in their own right. And so as their parent or as their grandparent or as their caretaker, it is your responsibility, and it's a responsibility that you joyfully do. You care for them morning, noon, and night, and you provide, all, you provide for them. You meet all of their needs because it's what you do. They are incapable of doing those things as a baby. But once they're 10, hopefully you're not treating them the same way that you were as a 10-month-old when they're 10 years old. And then when they're 22 years old, hopefully you're not treating them the same way that you were as a 10-year-old. Infants are selfish because that's all they can be. They're loving. We love them. But deep down, they can't fully self-sustain and grow and mature just quite yet. Paul says, but as adults, you don't have to be that. You don't have to be like them because if you serve and if you grow and if you realize there is a better way, then you move out of infancy and you don't get tossed around by every wave. 
And you don't keep yourself as the center of your own universe, but rather you grow in what it means to serve other people, and you don't go through life acting like an infant anymore. You don't go through life crying when you don't get your way. You don't go through life throwing a tantrum if somebody doesn't do exactly what it is that you wanted them to do. You don't speak in these overwhelmingly absolute terms that the sky is falling all the time. And don't you love that, that kids, the sky is always falling in a kid's world? I have a four-year-old son, and the sky is always falling in his world. He is the sweetest little thing ever. Love him with all of my heart. But just this, just this week, it's so funny, earlier this week, one morning he was up at 6 a.m., a little bit earlier than I would have preferred, but that's beside the point, 6 a.m., and he's staring at me as I'm sitting at the kitchen table. And he said, can I watch TV? And I said, no, you cannot. And he said, I really want you to say yes. <laughs> can I watch TV? And I said, no, the answer stands. Daddy, please just say yes. Say yes to me watching TV. I said, no, I'm going to say no again. And so then he says, looks at me in a very sweet face that has turned not so sweet, says, if you don't say yes to me watching TV, I am never going to say yes to anything you ever ask me to do in my whole life. <laughs> well, that escalated quickly. To which I responded, well, that's going to be a long, miserable life for you. So... Let's see if we can, you know, can work through that. And he moved on. And he has said yes to other things since that moment on Tuesday morning. But I think about that condition. And if we're not really careful, we can carry that into adulthood to where if not everything happens exactly the way that I want it to happen, I tend to what? Stir the pot and be divisive, or maybe I'm the type of person that finds meaning and everything being confusing and everything being chaotic, or Paul says, there's a better way. What can you do? You can grow up. And one of the things that significantly helps you to grow up is to put yourself in the back seat and put God and other people in the driver's seat. And when I do that, it helps me to no longer stay in infancy. And so when we ask you and talk to you about serving, it's not just because we have a quota that we're trying to fill. But this is a spiritual step, a significant next step as you engage with God. But more important than that, more important than what it does for me, let's not forget how other people are impacted. When I serve, when you serve, other people are impacted so greatly. What happens in the lives of other people when we serve? Well, people's lives are changed, and they're changed forever. I think about a story that I was told not too long ago by a person here in our church who was driving by on Sunday morning, and there was a really nice guy standing, or a guy smiling, standing at the end of the driveway, waving at people as they drove by Nolensville Road. And one Sunday morning, they thought to themselves, well, that seems like a nice place to go. So those people seem really nice. And so they went in and they're here now. And what's happened in some of these stories that have been recounted back to me over time is that some of the stories where People just saw somebody waving and being really nice in the lives of some of those individuals. Some terrible loss has happened in their life. And I was told by someone not too long ago that if it were not for the support and if it were not for the encouragement, if it was not for the people who were building me up in that season, I don't know how I would have been able to endure the things that happened in my life. And you know what I say to that? Praise God for the guy standing at the end of the driveway waving. I think about a teenager 
in our church right now who um, kind of had the proverbial rug pulled out from underneath his feet. And what we have here in the life of Rolling Hills are some amazing core team volunteers who consistently show up in the lives of our middle school and our high school students. And when the world would have said, take this path, as a teenager who has encountered some difficult seasons, instead of turning to the ways of the world, he turned towards these consistent volunteers in his life. Praise God for volunteers that show up and that serve weekend and week out. And then I think about that same demanding four-year-old who lives in my house. About two months ago, um, he woke up one morning and um, his nose was running. And, you know, which is common if you've ever been around a four-year-old, their noses run a lot. And uh, he said, um, Daddy, we need to, uh, we need to pray that my nose wouldn't be runny anymore. He said, because my teacher at church said that God wants to heal us when we're sick. And he said, so I'm going to pray that God would heal my runny nose. And he did. The next morning, he woke up and that nose was not running. Now, I was joining him in that prayer because I was like, God, I need that nose to not be runny tomorrow morning. And there's a prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And I was like, Lord, that nose better dry up tomorrow morning because I need this little guy to see that when he prays, you hear him. Praise God that we serve a God who heals runny noses. But praise God for a teacher over here who shows up every week and says, I want these four-year-olds to understand that God is a healer and that there's nothing that goes on in their life that he doesn't care about. So when you step up to serve, God uses it. He doesn't just change you. He uses it to change the lives of other people. And this you can count on. And you see this here on your notes as we close. Every act of ministry. Every act of ministry is used by God in ways that you may see or that you may not see. How do we know this? Because look at verse 16. From the hymn, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. It grows and it builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What does that mean? It means that you have a part to play. Every act of ministry is used by God in ways you may or may not see. You have a part to play, and we need you to do it. But that's not the takeaway today. I don't want you to walk out of this room today and say, they told me I need to do it, so I'm going to do it. I hope that the desire is there to serve, but that's not also the takeaway. I don't want you to just leave today and say, I'm going to find some way that makes me happy. I want you to find what is that desire that you have and what are some of the needs that are being presented to you. And wherever that overlaps, you camp out right there. And I promise you, when you do that, God uses you in ways that you can't ever begin to imagine and you can't even begin to put words to. So who's ready? Who's ready to not sit on the sidelines anymore but say, God, with all of my days, with all of my energy, with all of my life, I want to be on the front lines of serving other people and being involved in other people's lives. And let's stand in awe and amazement to see what it is that God wants to do. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence in this place. I thank you for the men and women and teenagers and kids in this room that serve, that invest And I pray for those of us that maybe we've had a season of life that it's just been really hard to figure out ways to be invested in the lives of other people. I pray that you would bring some things to our mind right now and that you would give us the the courage to take those steps. And I pray, God, for the person that 
Maybe they've been um, just a little bit hurt um, by the church or they've been hurt by someone else and they don't know what they have to give, what it is that they can invest. And I pray that you would show them right now. It may be something that seems so insignificant to them, but some way that they can serve and build up those that are around them today. And so, God, I pray that we would strive for that unity that comes when we put others above ourselves. I thank you that you are so good to us and that you're so close to us and that you care so passionately about what it is that's happening in our lives. So we seek to serve you and live for you today, God. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook and stay up to date on what's happening and the ways that you can connect. We're thankful for you.